This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of four, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 48. Today, we are mostly going to be talking about the topic of guilt. Uh, For whatever reason, that seems to be a hot topic that comes up again and again, and we got a fascinating listener question that uh, got us thinking about this topic. But first, uh, so little Genevieve is about seven months old as this episode is airing, Sarah's new baby. How about an update on the baby situation, Sarah? How's life yeah, going? She actually, well, as we're recording this, she's just turning six months. So every month sounds so much older than the last at this point. It's amazing. Yeah, since you've all been involved in the journey from her birth, I will update everyone. Pre-birth. Um, pre-birth. People have yes, been listening to this podcast. Right, you're right. Was, uh, not negative formats, but pre-birth. Yes. Um, she is still not sleeping through the night, but it's definitely on a trajectory of improvement. Like she'll wake up one to two times last night. She actually went to bed at six 45, like she was done. And, um, I feel like my babies have done that. They sort of get right around the seven hour or even a little bit before. And then she woke up to eat at like 1230 and then 5 a.m. And I get up at five, which meant that I really only was interrupted once. And I went to bed at nine. So I got a lot of sleep. Um, So that part is improving because back in the day during her like hungrier periods, she'd be up like 10 and then 1230 and then like three. Oh, my gosh, it was bad. But it's, it's much better now. I would say it's a very sustainable rhythm from a breastfeeding standpoint because that eating at night is enough, I think, to keep my supply up. But it's enough so that I don't have to like pressure myself to pump 8 million ounces. And um, you guys know I was I've been very stressed about that side of things, not for any logical reason. I've done more analysis. I really think it's because I would like to have a fairly extended, not extended, extended, like five years old, but like to 12 months or 13 months breastfeeding relationship. I missed having that with Cameron. And I knew that if I wasn't able to keep up with the pumping, that it would kind of be similar to my second, which is not the end of the world. But again, my last baby kind of wanted it to work. So I decided I'd be okay with whatever outcome I'd put myself into it. And it's, it's actually been 
better than with Cameron. I think I kind of trained my nanny to give a little bit less milk this time around during the day, um, knowing that that might translate into a little bit more waking up overnight. And I'm going to use numbers here because no one ever does. And I think people assume that they have to pump like 20 ounces in a day for this to work. But I really only pump (laughs) between 9 and 11 ounces each day during my workday, which is from 7.45, I leave the house and I get home at 6. And um, the rest of the time, she breastfeeds in the morning and then at night and overnight. And she is thriving, you guys. I mean, the thighs do not lie. Like, she is getting... (laughs) She is getting plenty. Um, and I, I do think that if I could have done one thing different with Cameron, she was, our nanny was maybe giving a little more milk to the point where he was more satisfied. So he slept, but then I slept. So again, that does kind of create the slippery slope where then you're making less and they're eating more and they're used to more. And again, that worked out completely fine. He is healthy, but I missed enjoying that end of our you know, relationship. And I think that was partly why. So this time it's so going how, better. How many bottles does she give during the day then? Like yeah, what's the bottle gives, schedule? Um, usually two to three bottles. And sometimes if she wants the bottle to last a long time, she'll give like four and a half ounces, but other times she'll give like three ounces. And since we hit about five months, we've been doing some solids, you know, not huge amounts of solids, but I guess that's been kind of helping to extend a little bit more. And I think Genevieve, the baby is just getting a little bit I think she, like she knows when I get home that she's going to like chow, you know, she kind of, <laughs> she, she's learned because she's really not fussy during the day. So it's not like she's um, unhappy or starving uh, at all, but somehow they, they make the nine to 11 ounces stretch and um, yeah, it's been working. So now that leaves me with a dilemma because I was super excited to, my original goal was like, okay, I'll suffer until six months and then I'm going to quit pumping because at that time I was so stressed out from it that it was sort of ruining my life. But now it's really not. And I'm finding breastfeeding like much more efficient. She's so fast. Like when we're on the go on the weekends, she just kind of pops on, pops off. And we have that trip that we're taking in August. So I'm thinking that maybe I will try to reset my goal to keep pumping until the beginning of August go on the trip. And then by that point, she'll be eight and a half months and I can try to transition to like a morning and night feeding schedule and less pumping, which I did successfully do in Annabelle around that age. And then we had exactly what I wanted, which was that nice kind of morning and evening breastfeeding relationship that lasted, you know, it's kind of as long as I wanted it to. So yeah, that's, that's where we are. And I'm definitely as long as you want it to, what are, what are you yeah. envisioning? Are you thinking like, I'm envisioning like, like or no, years probably or not. Like, no. Cause I think I'd like to like go away with Josh by, by the new year, um, which will be 13 months at that point. Um, and that would probably be a natural end if we took a trip and, you know, she'll just have to learn to get a bottle instead at night at, during that time. So yeah, I was thinking more like 12, 13 months. Okay. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, there we go. So it's not as bad as it was. It's not as bad as it was. And it was really bad. So if anybody just wants to email me and vent, um, I'm happy to accept it because I will say, oh my God, I know. And and it helped me to have some people that I kind of bounced off my stress with. And by the way, I don't know what will happen to me. (laughs) Yes, I'm blogging about it. Oh my God. People weighed in in droves, which was amazing. So yeah, having that community to kind of, to go through it with me was, was really great. And who knows, you know, maybe next week it all fall apart, but I, I guess I'm just, I'm pretty satisfied. Whatever happens at this point. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the hard thing with it. Like breastfeeding is one thing. The pumping is in something entirely different. And, you know, breastfeeding a baby is generally relatively pleasant. Pumping is not in any way, shape or form. Um, and, and so that adds the stress of that. But yeah, I think I remember reading or hearing once that, you know, that it, it's like 24 ounces in a day, I guess, is r- roughly what a, a baby of yep. certain size is, is consuming. And so that actually makes total sense. It's a, you think of an ounce an hour. Yes. If you are gone and that's about ten, what I get in the you're morning, gone a little 10 hours. Later. Yep. You're doing 10 out, 10 ounces at work. So yeah, that makes total sense for, for what the actual supply would be that the math comes out exactly right. And I think in order to, in, some people have a bit of an oversupply, so they make, or at least they make more than that during the day, but then their baby sleeps all night. So, I mean, I don't have that kind of a situation, but again, right now we're at a place that's nice and comfortable, sustainable. So yeah. And I do think there is this myth of like, you need to provide like six, six ounce bottles for your baby at daycare. And if that's true, then the daycare is probably... Yeah, I mean, I would say that could be something that people get tripped up on too. um, And it's one of the reasons to consider 
there, there are many reasons to choose daycare or choose nanny options, but uh, one caregiver who you employ is more likely to stick with your instructions for this and not to have quite the same thing going on with, you know, at, at daycare, they have three infants they need to tend to per caregiver. And, and so it's just a different tolerance for, for dealing with a baby who, who isn't really hungry, but could be made happier with more food. <laughs> and yes, yes, so, yes. You know, obviously you want to give a hungry baby what he or she wants, but, but there's reasons that babies fuss that they aren't hungry. And if you walked around with them for a while, they'd stop crying, but it's also sometimes easier to just put a bottle in their mouth, which I totally get. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so especially if there's to, like five babies, yeah. five babies. Yeah. So something, something to think about with, with that situation. Yeah. So obviously you don't have a pumping update, not for a while. Although I would Um, say humorously, we found the last bags of milk in the freezer, like long past, (laughs) you know, the point of there being a nursing baby in the house. And I look at it, I look at it like, gosh, I feel really bad at throwing this stuff away. But on the other Uh, hand, you have to, I have to, (laughs) I've like been sitting there for a year since I last pumped this stuff. Um, That is awesome. Yeah. No, you feed the freezer. (laughs) You you get you instead of giving birth to a baby, you gave birth to a book this year. Yes. So any updates on how that is? And and heard it's getting one of the first books written without giving birth to a baby at the same time. So um, that was a nice little transition. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No. Off the clock came out May twenty nine. We are recording this on. June, oh gosh, what is it even? June 7th, um, losing track of the days. And yeah, no, so it's been fun. To, one of the best parts of having a book come out is you wind up doing a lot of the networking that I know I should be doing anyway, reaching out to old friends and people that I have interviewed in the past who've interviewed me and seeing what's up in their lives. And I should be doing that anyway, and I just don't. And then I realize, oh my gosh, I have a book coming out. I need to reach back out to everyone to send them copies, and I do. And then I have all these great conversations, and it's wonderful. So uh, I've—it's a reminder that I need to do that when I don't have a book coming out. So I'm like putting on my calendar in the fall, like reach out to everyone I know. That's <laughs> a good idea. October. Although I always laugh at that because I know there are some people who have like as uh, they get like some note, like at the beginning of every quarter to reach out to a certain number of people. And so you inevitably get like emails from them saying how life is going on like October 1st, <laughs> January 1st. Oh, interesting. So you should probably pick like October 9th. It's like a random day. Pick a random day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm still happy to hear from them. I just find it funny. It's <laughs> like very clear that you remembered I existed because your calendar alert told you I existed, um, which Again, I'm, I'm glad that you remember I exist, but uh, it is it is one of those funny things. Uh, so yeah, no, I've been having fun. I've been doing, um, oddly enough, some more international media. I have my UK launch of Off the Clock is early August. Um, so if you have UK or Australian listeners, that's when it'll be available there. I've been um, setting up some interviews. I was actually on BBC Scotland uh, this morning talking about the topic we're spending the rest of our episode talking about, mom guilt, oddly enough. Um, I don't know why I've become an expert. Interesting. So someone, someone was excited about your book and in Scotland, but then felt like that was the message they wanted you to talk about. I'm not sure sure how I, they they must have said something on, I know how she does it. One of my previous books and that's how they originally found me. Uh, so I I was on BBC, um, I'm set up to tape something for the Australian Today show in a couple of days, uh, (gasps) off the clock. So yeah, you know, fun stuff. You should put clips of those on your blog because I would want to see the Australian Today Show just to see the Australian Today Show. (laughs) Well, so anyway, um, yeah, it's been good. And uh, if we have listeners here who would like to listen to me read the book, the audio book is also available. So if you are looking for something to listen to in between releases of the Best of Both Worlds podcast, you can listen to the audio book of Off the Clock, narrating it. And I can just be in your car with you every morning instead of just one morning a week. So I don't know if that's exciting or not to people, but uh, I, w- I would appreciate people checking it out. It was a fun book to write and it's it's been gratifying to hear some reviews from people who've read other things and enjoyed this one. As, as I well. Yes, I really can personally vouch for the book. I really liked it. So we're going to talk about guilt and Laura has warmed up already. Yes, <laughs> on that's the true. I've already been sharing and- with the BBC listeners about mom guilt. So 
Exactly. So that's perfect because we got a great question from a listener. And um, after we got this question, we realized, hey, this is one of those questions that could easily be an entire episode. So why not? I think this is a great topic. I'm hoping that lots of you weigh in on Laura's blog post when she publishes this one because I'm I'm sort of interested. I'm interested. I think this is this. Laura, this could be your next book. Huh. I don't know. Maybe. Guilt book. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. So here's a question. I have a question for you and Sarah about the guilt of being a working mom and ways to get rid of it. I have a three and a half year old and a nine month old. I went back to work when both of my kids were four months old and I only work three days a week now. I'm not sure how long that will last, but I have incredible guilt about working. I recently read a book called Being There, which makes the argument that women need to be home with their kids full time for the first three years or else the kids could be damaged psychologically. Oh, dear. <laughs> Sorry. She basically says that a lot of issues with kids today stem from missing their mothers who worked when they were little and not connecting properly with them. Have you heard of this book and or have any thoughts that might help me feel not so bad about it? I cried for about a week after reading it. My son, the three and a half year old, has been very challenging for the last year and has a lot of behavioral issues that other moms I know have not experienced with their kids. Or so you think. I added that part. I've been told by some that he's just spirited uh, and that he will grow out of it, but I continue to wonder if I'm to blame for his behavior because I worked when he was a baby. I don't have lots of friends who are working moms, so I feel alone in the working mother world. She then added to that. With we, a, we followed up. like yes, We, we like both got into the conversation. So she said, one thing I need to add regarding my original email is I do think my guilt comes from society and social circles more than anything else. I am educated and come from a household where college was a requirement, not an option, and my mom worked my entire life. I always planned on working after kids because it was the norm to me. But my husband has a job with long hours, sometimes unexpected overtime, and a long commute. I am the only working mom in his social circle of wives where we live, and many of them tend to not work. These women spend a lot of time talking and posting on social media about how they are doing what's best for their kids and how, in quotes, blessed they are to be able to stay home with them and enjoy a good quality of life. They ask me why I choose to work when I have small kids and they don't understand my choices, often expressing their feelings in a way that makes me feel like I'm a bad mother. I think being around these women has had more of an influence on me than it should, unfortunately. Discussing ways to alleviate guilt and not let society make you feel bad for wanting to use your brain and be an independent woman should be an excellent podcast topic. Well, we, we don't agree, and here we yeah. are. <laughs> As I say, we don't usually read that much of um, these questions, but I felt like all the nuances here were really important and I think they're going to resonate with some of our listeners. I mean, I would say the first two things is she needs a different reading list and she needs different friends. <laughs> I mean, that was my first two takeaways from this. Like, why would you read a book that's going to make you cry for a week? Like, you know, if you're going to read a book that makes you cry, make it be like a great novel that, you know, moves you on the human condition and cry about that as opposed to somebody, you know, cherry picking studies to make a political point. The, the second thing is that friends should make you feel better about life. So if your friends are making you feel like bad about life and like you're horrible and all that, when it, particularly what you're doing is like not an abnormal thing, like most mothers of small children do work and most children are not disasters. So clearly it's not, you know, a complete <laughs> causative sort of relationship. Um, it might be might be wise to expand the social circle a little bit and look for people who um, help you feel more positive about your life and that all is good. Yeah, uh, the guilt thing because she she did phrase it in wanting sort of practical solutions. Yeah, well, you mentioned um, thinking about it, and this is a practical solution. Um, I mean, I have some of my own things to add too, but this is a practical solution about. Thinking about it from a male perspective. Yeah. Does and- her husband feel guilty about working long hours, having a long commute and unexpected overtime? Like, does he feel racked with guilt about this idea? Because you're working a lot less than he is. So <laughs> I, I don't know. This is just, that's how you can tell it's social, right? That it's it's social. And she even knows that it's social. So maybe sitting down and writing down all the things that she does do with her kids and maybe even comparing that to what her husband does with the kids might be helpful in enabling her to actually physically kind of see that there's so much that they get from her. Yeah. Now you got to make sure you've got the right comparison here. I mean, she's comparing herself to other people's social media posts, which right there is a curated version of your life. Often when people are posting a lot about on something on social media, it's also because they're feeling a little bit um, insecure about it. 
And yes, I, I mean, I'm just going to go out there and say this because I have seen on my Facebook feed, like some of the most over the top, like I love my spouse type posts that I've seen are couples that get divorced later. And I know what it is, is that they're feeling very insecure about the relationship. And so they feel the need to talk about it a lot. And so on some level that you can see that with social media and all sorts of things, like I need to post about just how good a mom I am because I'm feeling insecure in some way, shape or form about it. And which that's totally normal. It's, normal. it's okay. That's to- human condition right there. Um, but I would not view their social media posts as what life is actually like. Well, and I think there's probably guilt on their side too. So they're probably feeling guilty for not contributing to their family um, in a productive manner. And well, not a productive manner, in a financial manner. Sorry, sorry, sorry. In a very productive manner. I, I, that was not the right wording. Um, in a financial manner. And so maybe some of that is sort of justification. Now, I don't think- Or even worried about the example they're setting for their daughters. Like, let's throw that yeah, out there. possibly. Like, but I think yeah. it's like- I've said it's it's totally okay with me if someone says, I want to stay home because I enjoy my kids and I want to be with them and that's how I want to spend my life. Like I take zero offense to that, but that doesn't tend to be the narrative. Instead, people twist it to, I want to stay home because I'm giving myself to my kids and I'm a martyr and I'm, you know, like the so blessed doesn't actually bother me because so blessed to me means like, oh, I'm lucky to be able to do this, which if they're in a financial position to do it, then I guess that they are, although sometimes, sometimes it's a short-sighted ability to do it from a financial perspective. So the blessed part doesn't bother me, but the idea that they would kind of say that their children are so blessed or that they were doing what is right, you know, that, which implies that you're doing what is wrong, that is problematic with it. Yeah. I mean, one thing I would, I would point out here is it, it is very dangerous from a financial perspective to completely get yourself out of the workforce as in being like retired when your kids are little. Very few families can be sure that that won't be a problem later, either that there will be a breadwinner job loss at some point, that there will be a disability, um, that somebody will need to retire earlier than they wish to because of changes in the industry. You know, there could be unexpected expenses later, like college is pretty expensive, you know, or there could be things that happen that it would really help to have an extra financial cushion or even just saving for retirement, um, you know, having an extra income. And it can be very hard to get back in, which is why it's good to at least be doing something. Like even if you are mostly staying home with your kids, you know, doing a couple hours a week of freelance projects, um, making sure you're keeping that networking going, something a little bit on the side so that you can scale that back up when you need to is just a much better financial situation, which it sounds is exactly what this woman is doing. I mean, she's working part time, right? Uh, that So she's keeping her hand in and also spending time with her kids. Like this is, it just strikes me like to feel guilty about that is, is so, yeah. Because I mean, When she identifies why she, it's, it's, she's feeling guilty from reading a book, which will, I'll talk, I did a little bit of, you know, informal internet research that I think might make her feel better. And because of exactly what you're saying, like the social circles and the things that they're saying that she's letting get to her. So let's say she's working three days a week and it's nine hours each day. So that's like 27 hours. So 168 hours in a week, if she is sleeping 56 and working 27, I mean, this is seriously like, you know, 80 some hours. I wish I just had done the math before I put that out there, but it's like 80 some hours of, of not working time. Like why is the 27 the problem when there's 80 plus hours of, of not working, not sleeping time to, to play around with. And, and she also has a kid that's three and a half whom, you know, many of her stay at home mom friends may have their kids at that age in preschool. So they're not with them during those times. You know, that's even subtracting more hours yeah, that they wouldn't be around them. Also, lots of kids have disciplinary slash behavioral issues that, um, you know, it's possible that he is a very spirited child. I mean, that's just reality. Um, there's, kids who are easier to parent and there are kids who are less easy to parent and you get what you get. And I guess you don't get upset because, you know, they are who they are. So, I mean, I, do you feel the guilt thing, Sarah? I mean, I gotta say, I honestly don't. And I know that 
it's prevalent, which is why we get lots of questions about it. Um, I know that it's a very clickbaity word. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this episode with that in the title gets more listens, more downloads than the average episode, because it is a very clicky word. And yet I just don't see it. I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, partly it's that I track my time so I can see that I'm spending like copious quantities of time with my kids. That's why I know like some of their puzzles by shape alone of the pieces. Like even if they're not turned over, I'm like, I've done this puzzle so many times. I know that that is on the bottom, you know, I, or all the kids books you've probably memorized. Like like I I memorized dozens at this point. Yes. And, (sighs) or all the events and sporting stuff I've driven to all the, initial pancakes I've made in the morning, like, uh, you know, with their initials, like JSRA (laughs) on the griddle. You know, because I see this, I, I, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, well, I didn't go to X, Y, and Z. Because I'm like, because I also went to A, B, and C, D, E, F, G, et cetera. I've also, it's the question of who you're comparing yourself to. I, I think the primary important comparison is my husband. And I know I'm around a lot more than he is, um, you know, data wise, like I know that. And so I don't understand why I would feel guilty. Like if somebody needs to feel guilty, he can. And he, he, doesn't. Does he? he doesn't. He doesn't. I asked Josh this morning, um, I said, in preparation for this episode, do you have any dad guilt? And he says, he said, well, now I don't because I'm home more, which he is, because um, he's been kind of making an effort to get home a little bit early when he can. But he said he did before. So that was interesting. Well, it's good. He made a choice, a, a change based on it, I guess, that was workable for you guys. Um, but we're talking from a perspective of he had been like, you know, finishing up paperwork until nine or 10 at night, right? Like, Oh, and he still does many nights, but like the fact that, you know, now one night, two or not, maybe, maybe I would say up to two, sometimes three, he'll come home at like seven, which is awesome. So I mean, the perspective of where this, I mean, compared to like (laughs) like this woman who wrote in this letter, right? Where she's like, oh my gosh, I work three days a week. You know, we're we're not even talking the same universe. There's no comparison. No, we are not. it's funny because I was in the BBC Scotland interview this morning with it's coming back to one of my fellow interviewees was a man and the interviewer asked about this like you know he said yeah I feel some guilt but he was comparing himself to his father and compared to his father he spends like gobs more time with his kids partly just because the nature of fatherhood has changed I mean I think there's many men who grew up you know 50 60 years ago who never changed a diaper and that's just not no one would expect that now almost no one would expect that now so I think many men if they're comparing themselves to their fathers they feel like I'm doing great like in many cases you know not only are they maybe earning more than their fathers they're spending more time with their kids too like wow we're winning on all levels so it's uh but you're right. That's not the right that's comparison. That's not the right comparison. Why don't you compare it to your spouse then? Or it could be the right. You can choose who you want to compare yourself to. But I'm saying there's no reason that women should compare themselves the to some social media post when men are comparing themselves to their own fathers. I mean, that's just setting yourself up for whether you want to spend a week crying or feel like awesome about your life. Again, it's like what you choose to compare yourself to. I mean, you asked whether I feel mom guilt. I I think I'm more susceptible to it than you. The lo- the logical side of my brain, absolutely not. The kind of like um, part of my psyche that I have less control over. I think sometimes the thoughts filter in. I think if I read that book, I'm the kind of person if I read something, sometimes I put a little more weight into the fact that it's a printed word and to sort of trust what it says and might be like, oh my god. But the truth is, I did a little. Googling and basically, you know, there's not really good studies on this that they're like one giant meta analysis that looked at 69 studies over 50 years so that in general, children of mothers who worked when young had no major learning behavioral or school problems and tended to be higher achievers in school and have less depression or anxiety. Um, my question is, I don't know, you know, now that we're in a little bit of a different realm than the 50 years ago, maybe that's changed, especially because anxiety and depression are more common now, but who knows? Um, one study said maybe there's an increase in BMI in children of mothers who worked particularly in higher socioeconomic brackets, and they postulated more TV watching. My counter argument was, is that maybe it's more unsupervised food intake. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Or like, you know, the day, like the daycare, keeping the kid happy with five bottles, you know, that like we talked about. So I don't know. Um, but that's, that wouldn't, 
you know, there are so many factors that go into BMI, so many factors that that's got to be one teeny tiny one amongst genetics and environment and the socioeconomic um, status in general. That's probably a lot more powerful than within that bracket, that tiny difference. So, I mean, I didn't find objective data to back to back up the idea that you are ruining your family if you go to work. Well, However, it, you know... Sorry, can I just interject one thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The yeah. problem with studies of it... Okay, any small study can find anything going one way or the other, okay? This is the reality, partly because what is the end point? So I remember, like, when I was new into the parenting journey or thinking about it, a lot of people would say to me, well, all the research finds that children of mothers who stay home turn out better. Let's unpack that for a minute. What does it mean to turn out better? Like, what is your measurable endpoint for that study? I mean, is it like attending an Ivy League university? Is it staying out of jail? I mean, is it <laughs> like earning a certain yeah. amount? Is, is, it it happiness, is it happiness? Productivity? Is it health, mental health? health? Who knows? And they don't know either. That's just, you know, people are just saying that, right? They don't actually know. One thing we do know is that families with two working parents tend to be higher income, right? Than families with one income, um, just through sheer math, right? Two incomes, unless you're talking like, you know, the investment bankers of the world, like generally two workers can earn more than one. And so kids need time and money. And when they have more money, there are advantages that don't come when you lack that money. So it, you know, that's, it's so hard to tease out stuff like that. It's also that there's a wide variety of reasons that um, women wind up staying home with their children. You know, one is the stereotype I think this woman is comparing herself to, which is that, you know, it's the highly educated opt out person who, you know, used to be a lawyer and decided to put all that energy into child raising after stepping out of the workforce. That's one thing. There's also women who stay home because there's nothing they can do that would cover the cost of childcare. That they're young, they're you know not very educated, that uh, they don't have a whole lot of marketable skills. That is another reason that that people wind up staying home. Um, so if you compare, you're not going to come up with the same data looking at those two groups. You know that those are different outcomes, not because anyone's doing anything better or worse than anyone else. It's just that the children of one set of the moms who are home, not because of choice, but because of you know economic circumstances, are facing other economic difficulties. Uh, so, so there's no turnout, like this idea of how children turn out. There's no good measurable endpoint. So, and it isn't a contest, and there's no winning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think no. I mean, really, I think people do get caught in the mindset, like you're, yeah, like what are you turning out a better product? Like the goal for all of us is to raise kids who are, you know, enjoying their lives and hopefully human beings, contributing in yeah. some positive way to society. The end. Like that probably should be it. And you're right. Other yardsticks are are difficult. So it is. It's interesting because the look at you know certain health and outcomes, but again, even it doesn't look like there are. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's, this is a very, very difficult study yeah, to do. So. You're right, too. It's one of those things. It's like the breastfeeding studies. Like, there's so many variables that when you're quote unquote controlling for things, it, you just get meaningless. It sort of turns into like a stats <laughs> yeah. exercise rather than it being anything yeah. meaningful. Um, and with that, I would also say I mean, another reason not to feel guilt is like my children are among the luckiest people on the planet. I mean, there is no way around that. Like, the number of awesome things they have in their lives in terms of how many people care about them, like their parents dote on them. They are, you know, financially well off. Their parents are educated and making sure that they are focused on their schoolwork and getting all these opportunities with extracurriculars and all that. I mean, you know, it's all of that is stuff that many other kids don't have. And and so the whole thing of like guilt is that somebody needs to be hurt for guilt to be an appropriate emotion. Guilt is one of those evolved emotions so that if I like insulted you and you were mad, I would then like want to make amends because that meant we could repair our relationship. So that's the point of, of guilt so that our tribe could then continue functioning uh, and we wouldn't all just be off in our own little snits in our caves. But if nobody's being hurt and you know, these kids who are, again, among the luckiest people on the planet are clearly not being hurt, then it's hard to see what the point of the guilt is. 
I think that sometimes um, I can replace in my mind the word guilt with like sort of wistfulness that you can't have everything both ways. Like, you know, if I miss a school event or I have to send my nanny to the pediatrician's office for like a strep test, I'm sort of like, oh, I kind of wish I could be there too. And I think it's important not to confuse that feeling of, again, wistfulness with, oh, I'm guilty because I'm bad. Because the truth is like whether I'm there for like a throat swab there's not going to be a bad outcome and I can still comfort her, comfort her when I get home. And, you know, that's not going to have any long-term negative consequences. So that, and and to throw that in there, you know, is dad guilty for not going to that appointment? I don't think so. So, and also, you know, you have skills you're using at the time she's getting the throat swab that are contributing to society too. Like there's, you know, a child whose diabetes is not going to be out of control because you figured out a better, you know, treatment process for it. it's just like yeah yeah like I'm either disappointing my patients or and and not caring for, I mean that's that's unique to to my particular but, but every, job I know, guess but all, yeah like I mean yeah every job though it has trade-offs yeah, people do good either, things I mean I gosh I remember one of the most ridiculous comments online comments I ever read of somebody being like oh I, you know better to stay home with my kids than make a corporation rich by making widgets I'm like really okay is the widget making like the only thing you could see of somebody might do you know I'm personally very happy that like my kids doctors who are women are generally mothers like I'm glad they decided to keep working I'm glad my kids teachers who are highly skilled you know, wonderful educators who also tend to have children. I'm really glad they decided to continue or her, their principal who, who leads a wonderful school. I'm glad she can, you know, I'm glad that our pastors who are often moms are, you know, doing great work for everyone else. And, and yet they, you know, they continue to work. I'm glad they did. Many of our elected leaders around here are also, you know, working moms. I'm glad they're offering their but even if the person's like a video game designer, then they're they're a maybe bringing joy, to the, joy world, to the world, as b well. yeah. contributing to their team of their coworkers, and c helping earn money that will better their family's lives. So they're still doing something positive for their family by being at work, even if it doesn't seem innately yeah. altruistic. Like maybe if your job is selling cocaine, <laughs> like then you can go feel guilty about it. But you should get a new job, job, and you should feel but, guilty. Yeah, like I, I think. This just I, this woman didn't say what she was doing actually, which is interesting. We could maybe analyze that uh, why, uh, the, what her job was. But I think she must like her job. I think she must find it gratifying enough to keep going in the face of these influences and people in her face. Yeah, you know, telling no, I her that too. I mean, there's wrong. and and there's something to be said for that. I think you know if you think what you're doing is having an impact and you enjoy it, then you can see these trade-offs more clearly and that why you might continue doing it. If you do have, you know, an immediate economic choice, uh, obviously many people do not have the economic choice. There's a lot of you know, single parents too, that it's really, you know, you have to work. What else are you going to do? But, you know, I, I, that's, this problem of putting this all in the, the realm of, of choice is then it enters this thing of it's only a choice for women, but that's generally not true for, you know, she says she's got a college degree and all that. Like probably she could do something where, her husband could stay home. I mean, you know, there's probably something she could do that would support a family. So it's it's just really a very gendered sort of narrative. Yes. So in the end of the day, we're saying, don't read that kind of book. (laughs) Don't read that book. That will not be on our book recommendation. Question your impulses and find some, I would add, find some great role models of working women that will make you realize that the whole idea yeah. is. I mean, and that could be its own episode. I mean, we've done a friends episode of how you meet new friends. And clearly this woman needs some new friends um, that aren't going to make her feel guilty. But, you know, maybe go find, uh, I'm sorry, the book club <laughs> or, um, you know, other people at the kids' schools, um, you know, join some sort of extracurricular activity. I'm in a choir, you know, like go classes at the gym. You might be people there. But just, you know, ways to find other people to socialize with who who might be a bit more compatible. Yes. Awesome. Well, I am so excited to read and listen and hear the listener feedback on this one. So I really hope everybody weighs in when Laura writes her blog post, because I think this is going to likely bring yeah, out a lot no. of opinions. So we're, we're at, we've been talking about guilt and, and what leads to it and what to do about it and whether people should feel guilt at all. So there we go. All right. To the listener Q&A. Oh, and it kind of has a guilt. guilt a in different it. form of guilt, I interestingly. <laughs> sure. Do you want to read it? It says, Hi, Laura, it? this is okay, a question okay. for your Best of Both Worlds podcast. Okay. So she sometimes people just email me, but it's to both of us. Uh, She says she loves it and listens to it religiously, which we highly recommend, by the way. And please tell your friends about it as well. 
All right. She says, I have two girls, ages two and a half and five and a half. I'm the primary parent and I find myself spending a lot more one-on-one time with my older daughter, taking her to birthday parties, Girl Scout activities, and just in general, as it's easier to take a five and a half year old somewhere rather than a newly potty trained two and a half year old. I am involved with Girl Scouts and volunteer in our classroom, so it makes sense that I take our older daughter to these activities rather than my husband. I find myself feeling guilty that I do not do an equal amount of one-on-one time with my younger daughter. I could take my younger daughter out alone sometimes, but it doesn't seem fair to exclude my older daughter from these activities, since it's not like I purposefully leave out younger daughter at the times when she stays home with her dad. My girls really love each other, and I'm I'm not sure the younger daughter would want her older sister to be excluded. Should I purposely carve out alone time with my younger daughter or should I let it go and figure things will even out when she gets older? Well, I would say first, this is an example of how you can feel guilt about anything. Like (laughs) this is a woman who is, you know, doing all the volunteering and in the classroom and the Girl Scout stuff. And she's like, oh, but I'm guilty about neglecting my younger kid. (laughs) So um, maybe it's, you know, perhaps staying home with your kids would not make all the guilt go away. Consider that. Yeah. You just feel guilty for having too many kids and not being able to, I mean, yeah, yes, you can be guilty about anything. I will say when I read this, the thing that stands out to me is that I totally understand how it can be more enjoyable to do things with an older child, or perhaps maybe the kids are the same age, but the temperaments are different. Like maybe one kid is just more challenging. So it's like less fun to take them to the store. But I would argue that it makes sense to do something, but this is a case where scale and the lack of a sense of scale for most little kids could really work in your favor. So maybe, you know, you're naturally spending a lot of one-on-one time, one-on-one time with your five and a half year old. It doesn't mean that you have to then take your two and a half year old on a solo outing that's equal. I think if you spend 10 minutes being like, hey, we're going to do a a bath, just us together or play trains. That was Cameron's thing after I had Genevieve in his room for like 10 minutes. They will see that as like an amazing effort on your part um, and feel special, even if it's not such a big deal. Like I don't even, you know, if, if she doesn't care, your younger one doesn't care, then maybe you don't even have to do anything. But I felt like, you know, when, when Genevieve was born, my kids were almost four and almost six. And I felt like Cameron really did care. And it was, it was full doing this. It was the same exact situation. Like I felt like everything was happening with Annabelle where she would be taken places solo and she was kind of like easier to bring places. And all we did was add in some really minor things to do with Cameron and that seemed to do the trick pretty well. So I, yeah, that's, that was how we handled it. And Laura actually, you know, as her kids have gotten older, talk about like the, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but I also, you should mention like your solo yeah, outing. I mean, with four I, kids, I, I'm sort of amazed sometimes how, how much it does wind up working out to just spend a little bit of time with each of them one-on-one. And I try to do, I try to think about it. You know, I'm driving to different activities when I have just one of them in the car and try to use that time or spending a little bit of solo time with them before bed. You know, the, the three-year-old takes forever to put to bed. But, you know, I always read a, a story to the six-year-old and we do this little thing where I take the bad dreams out. And my 11-year-old often comes to have a little talk um, at different points. But yeah, I do um, one solo trip. With the kids in the summer, I do these mommy days where they can choose uh, what where they'd like to go and within reason. <laughs> and then we do a solo day trip, me and that kid. And they're usually very pleasant because then I'm not, you know, hurting a crowd and they're not fighting with each other. Like if we, we often wind up doing amusement parks and if one kid wants to go on a ride, we can just go on that ride. Like it's not like, oh, but I want to go on this and you let her go on that. No, it's the fighting, which is just soul sucking at many points. Um, so you just do what that one kid wants to do. And I find that's been really exciting for them. They've enjoyed that. It's been a great kind of memory making experience. Uh, I'm planning to do it with all four kids because I think the the three-year-old is old enough to have a little bit more say in it, but I, I may just wind up helping him choose because I'm not sure that he has a good sense of what the options are. It's not like he's going to get on the internet and research it, right? Like it's, uh, um, and, but that's the honest truth too, is like the 11 year old, like the, the standards rise. Like my 11 year old for, for Christmas, he asked to be taken to the Georgia aquarium. Like he was very into this idea of taking a trip. And so my husband wound up taking him to Atlanta for the weekend um, to go to Georgia aquarium. That was his big present. Like the three-year-old, you could just bring him to the pet store and look at the turtles in the, in the, you know, cages and be like excited about it. He doesn't, need to go to Georgia to the aquarium and he doesn't 
you know, he wouldn't even, he'd be uncomfortable with being on the plane and all that stuff anyway. It'd just be too much. So yeah, the scale, the sense of scale, like little kids, you don't need to do as much. You don't need to worry about like, oh, do I need to start an activity that just us do? I think if you just think about how can I spend 10 minutes with this kid today, fully focused on this one child, you'll probably make it work and it'll probably be great. Yeah. And I guess after listening to this, I would also say don't add a problem where there isn't one. <laughs> yes. if, if your two and a half year old seems completely fine with things or is like asking her older sister to come when you do suggest an outing, like, yeah, that's, that's okay. Cool. That's fine. There's right no right answer, answer here. All right. So now our love of the week. We, uh, <laughs> Laura doesn't like my <laughs> love of the I'm week. I'm not against it's okay. it. It's fine. I like this little stereotype here. Next thing we know, we're going to see all these like baby food. Sorry, you tell me what our love of the week is. Uh, okay. So, well, I have a twist there, right? You because outsource, I outsource, that's true. basically. Right, anyway. My love, my love of the week is um, I bought like 24 or something of these OXO glass frozen baby food containers. And this is not saying like, oh, my baby is just too good for jarred food. Not at all. Basically, I our nanny like is happy to make the baby food and it takes like one second if you make a big batch. So like we'll puree like organic frozen peas or like whatever it is. And the truth is they taste better than the jars. And that was sort of my reasoning because there's no real, I don't think, big nutritional difference. But anyway, so I bought these containers. So she made giant batches and it took probably 15 minutes and there's like two weeks or more worth of cute little cubes of baby food in the freezer. So OXO, they snap on their glass. They're not, they're on Amazon. They were like, there was one color that was like half the price of all the other colors. So I ordered a bunch aqua. of aqua. And what, what, blend, like what sort of yes. blender setup do you, or mixture setup do you use to Oh, she just throws them in the Cuisinart. Cuisinart, Yeah. And you don't even have to like microwave. Like you just literally take like bags of like frozen food or if it's fresh, like cut it up like a sweet potato. And if especially if like, like I think she made sweet potatoes for all of us for dinner. And so she just took the extra sweet potato, threw it in the blender and then put it in the container. So it's kind of for there to be a um, base for the... No, you don't need it. No, no. I mean, you could. And I think, I mean, when I've fed Genevieve certain things, I add a little bit of like, you know, pumped milk or you can even add a little water. Like, for example, I think she didn't really like the green beans. So I add a little breast milk and then she liked it. Magic. But no, you don't need to add anything because, you know, vegetables are pretty watery as is. Yeah. So, and we did do this with, I did it myself with Annabelle and then she did it with Cameron and then she's done it with, with Genevieve. So That's good. yeah, it's doable. It's not All that right. hard. But you don't yeah, have to do it either. We buy the jars too. I have, I am not anti-jar. We buy the jars. We buy the squeeze packs. I'm an equal opportunity. Baby. All good. Whatever works at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Yes. What is your love of the week? Hopefully something different. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so I've been eating not that well in terms of <laughs> – I've been eating all these like comfort foodie type things and I've gotten into a somewhat of a bad habit of uh, having giant bowls of cornflakes uh, for whatever reason that <laughs> has been what has been hitting the spot lately I it, I poured the cornflakes in a bowl and I used like whole milk and then I even put a little bit of um, heavy cream on it too so it's like really yummy <laughs> and I think of it I'm and you're not, not pregnant, pregnant now. Sure. I think like, of it more okay. as like oh, it's dessert. Uh, but it's funny because I used to eat b- cereal all the time. Like growing up, we had bowls of cereal as like our nighttime snack all the time. And I stopped doing that. I mostly eat eggs for breakfast now. And I'm sure that's much healthier than breakfast cereal. But I kind of do still like breakfast cereal. <laughs> it's, um, you know, a yummy food. So I guess my, my giant yeah. bowls of cornflakes have been really hitting it for me lately. So. That's awesome. I thought you were going to be like, and so my love of the week is like the whole 30, but you're like, no, no, no. My love of the week is the cornflakes. No. Oh gosh, no. I I kind of want to try it. (laughs) At the moment, you know, I guess this is a whole other episode topic, but I just don't feel like putting the mental effort into the rigorous, healthy eating and watching what I eat and all that. And yeah, not a priority for me right now maybe a priority for other people, but not for me. And so that is what it is. And And it's working out fine. I run. You run. It's It's not, it's probably not enough to (laughs) completely outdo all that, but you have to choose where to put your mental energy. And you do. And I, 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 I believe that like YOLO really does like influence my eating choices. Like I don't want to live a life where I only eat like boring stuff. I like bread. I like, there you go beer. I like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have too big of a sweet tooth, but 
there certainly I do love food. And so I would prefer not to think of it in more of a restrictive context. Um, and so then, you know, you just take the consequences as they are. <laughs> Agree. Well, right, I like your logo. That's a good one. All right. Well, this has been best of both worlds. We have been talking guilt and how we feel about that G word. And we will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.